Hi, anyone and everyone. Welcome to Have You Heard About This Case. My name is Sam. And my name is Kelly. Today we're going to talk about the murder of Rosalio Gutierrez Jr. in 2020. The prosecution contends that a man, Zachariah Anderson, would be charged with the first-degree murder of Rosalio because he was jealous of his new relationship with his ex and mother of his children, Sadie Beecham. They also levied charges against him for stalking them both. I highly recommend that you listen to part one to get all the investigative juice on this case, as this episode will describe what happened over the course of the huge trial. But before we quite get into that, we usually do our question, but we're going to skip that since we're in a part two of an of one story. Um, but since this episode is coming out on Thanksgiving, we do want mm-hmm. to say thank you to everyone who has been listening. Um, we also really greatly want to say thank you to the prosecutors because they're the ones who just kind of put our name out there from day one. And we appreciate that so much. Um, so we just want to take a, a quick moment to to thank everyone who has made our show what it is. Yeah, thank you so much for letting us be part of this community. Like, and meet new people and have new experiences and hear new things. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it all. I hope you're ready for a wild ride tonight, I should warn you. Definite trigger warnings for domestic violence. And toward the end of this, there is a 14-year-old minor that must testify. I'm so sorry this case is so grim, and it's never our intention to trigger anyone. So please, if you join us for this part two, know that that kind of thing will be discussed and protect yourself by not listening if you need to. This episode is also largely regarding Anderson's trial. If that's not your jam, that's okay, but I can tell you that this episode is where we get the real testimony on what actually occurred here, and I can also tell you that Zachariah Anderson's trial goes on for a whopping 17 days. Well, I can tell you that I I, uh, have a lot of questions, so I'm not surprised it it took so long because mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of information in between everything here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Plenty of time for questions. And we had some question marks after our first episode. If you listened, you know that Zachariah Anderson was compelled by the authorities to turn over his personal laptop, which contained a folder full of information on Rosalio Gutierrez Jr. Our question, and the thing that I have been hunting for, is the authorities' probable cause for getting that laptop from Anderson and getting it as quick as they did. And I've combed so many articles that the Kenosha News has paywalled me out of their website. I'm going to start with things that are interesting, as we say, but might not be enough for a search warrant. Because... I did find this, and I'd like to note that most of this is quoted from a website supporting Zachariah Anderson, uh, 
So the adjectives chosen or thoughts expressed here, know that this is pulled directly from their website. And I don't feel super comfortable with what falsehoods there may be here. Fair. They're saying, so Michael, Rosalio's longtime friend, testifies that he and another close friend, Brandon, drove to Anderson's house in Mequon, 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 Wisconsin, around this time to confront him. Per both Michael and Brandon's testimony, they arrive about the time it's getting dark. And Zachariah Anderson calls 911. The time is unknown, but Michael and Brandon drive to Sadie's house and park in the bar parking lot nearby. They then drive back by Zachariah Anderson's house, and Michael testified he called the local sheriff's department to let them know that he had been to Zachariah's house. Michael then testified he saw a bunch of people at Zach's house. The time is again unknown, but Michael had a phone conversation with Detective Correa of Kenosha PD, and he said he was, quote, very mad. Michael tells Correa that he got Zachariah's info from Rosalio's mom, Celia, which makes me wonder even more why did Celia have Zachariah's info? Like, I. So when. I'm, I'm a little confused. So they're talking about the time that Rosalio's friends went to go see Anderson. Anderson in that time where they like, they were, he convinced them that he was actually right. his brother. Right. Yeah, this is them coming, like, returning to it and calling 911 on him and, like, basically alerting authorities to him. So, But Zach also calls 911. Is that because he was scared that these two guys were knocking at his door? I think that's what this website is implying. Again, I'd like to assert that I I think that that all of what that paragraph just was was heavily influenced toward Anderson, right? Given where it's pulled from, and like the the idea that Michael had a phone conversation with Detective Coria of the PD that he was quote very mad like. Oh, okay. Well, that's the reason. I, I don't, I don't understand what you're implying. Right. So, like, just the bigger context here. Just, it's been a couple days since we recorded, so I need to make sure I have my facts straight. And uh, you all, it's been a week. You might need it as well. So, Rosalio has been murdered. Well, Rosalio mm-hmm. is dead. Um, presumably yes. based on the amount of blood found in his home and presumably yes yeah his body has not been found but that is kind of a logical deduction and uh we believe that it's Uh, the prosecution contends he's he's dead given the amount of blood that was found at the scene of his apartment Mm -hmm. and then 
it's believed that it is Zachariah Anderson because he is the ex-boyfriend of Rosalio's current girlfriend. Yes, current partner, Sadie Beecham. Yes, and it, it seemingly seems like at this point we this is kind of before the warrant mm-hmm. seemingly mm-hmm. um it that he potentially has been a stalker but there's no evidence of that at this moment so coming into this two friends of Rosalio comes in, come in and they knock on his door to confront him he mm-hmm. convinces them hey i'm actually my brother like yeah. don't hurt me mm-hmm. and so he starts to panic he calls 911 okay i'm just making sure i have the order of events going on here you have it correct yeah yeah and you like i said i think that's all really heavily like it, uh, i don't think there's any reason to include that michael had a very mad phone conversation with the kenosha pd Unless you're trying to assert that this phone conversation where he was very mad was what made them produce a warrant. Yeah, there has to be something tangible there. A mad conversation isn't what gets a judge to sign a warrant. It doesn't. Exactly. And it makes no sense that Michael told Correa that he got Zachariah's info from Rosalio's mom. Well, yeah, why would she have it? I don't know. I don't understand why she would know where he lived. Yeah. I just don't buy any of that. But. Yeah, that raises more questions. <laughs> but that's what I mean. That's what I mean when I say I'm starting with things that are interesting and not things that I think might be the reason for the warrant. So I think this is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't make sense for a warrant. Yeah, I think this is interesting. I think they're trying to play it like, oh, poor him, you know, like, he didn't, uh, they were very mad and whatever. (laughs) And, however, Michael's persistence could be part of the reason that the search warrant was executed. After speaking with Correa, he, okay, this part is weird. After Speaking with Detective Correa, Michael sends a text message to a friend who I assume is a friend of all all these people. Okay. And she's referred to and listed only as Eileen. And again, this, this information is coming from the pro Zachariah Anderson site. So they don't have, like, a cast of characters of, like, who Eileen is. And this alleged message said, quote, She and her baby daddy need to be investigated, like, right fucking now. And Aileen replies with, I agree. I'm calling the detective at seven in a meeting till then. So his friends were calling the cops and putting pressure on them. And... I believe those text messages refer to Zachariah Anderson's wife. I was going to say, is this Sadie? Yeah, I think this is his ex-wife who we discussed in the first one who mistakenly alibied him. Oh, okay. I was thinking it was Sadie, but she didn't have kids with him, right? Or did she? No, Sadie did have children with him. Yes. Okay. So this is not, this is a different ex. That's not Sadie. 
yes, this is a different ex, and I don't know which ex, but I right. think it would be the ex who you you perhaps compelled to deliver a false alibi for you. Yeah, I, I have a lot of questions with that as well, but we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. At the time, all this pressure was exerted from the family. Kenosha County Sheriff's Department is using a drone conducting an aerial search of the fields and ditch lines immediately west of Rosalio's apartment. Maybe they found something that made it qualify for a warrant on this search? I feel like that's something that would be public. Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and there's nothing there. It just says that they searched it with a drone. Like the thing that I'm, I'm wondering, and I, I think you're kind of alluding to this a little bit with the pressure on the police and of all of that, mm-hmm. that comes with it. I think that there were potentially a handful of people who claimed to witness something consistent to then potentially get a warrant. And I think that might be why we don't know anything. I think that's a really hard way to get a warrant, <laughs> to rely on somebody else's testimony. Right. But I, I'm just, I'm tra- like, if they found something that led them to him in such like a public search like this, you would know. They would, they would, uh, that would be reported. Exactly. Um. So like, I'm trying to think of like out of the box, like what else could it be that isn't going to be reported Don't worry, I actually have more options because we're still in the land of things that are interesting. (laughs) Okay. Like they searched it with a drone. Interesting. Okay, maybe they saw some anomalies. I don't know what they were doing. They had a drone there. I get the search. I do understand that because what if you find him? A a drone will speed up that process. Sure. And maybe... It also said in one article, there are, for this alibi, there are so many different narratives. Because it also says in one article that police went to Anderson's home and then obtained the search warrant. Maybe there was an altercation between the police and Anderson. We know from part one he was not cooperative with detectives on their arrival. Or maybe detectives observed enough oddities or actually saw something that compelled the judge to sign off on this warrant. See, okay. It's just kind of so ambiguous that it, it's hard to say. But one thing mm. I can tell you and I've, I've spoken to a few different people in the field about this. Um, most people that I know are in relation to medical, but like, let's say you're a first responder or an EMT going into a home because you, you get a call for a medical emergency. Even if you see blatant criminal activity, there, you, you, there's nothing you can really do about it at that time. Like, you can't take that and be like, hey, judge, I saw whatever this is. I saw the evidence of a, a severe crime. Um, you need to sign off on this because we need to go in. It, it's it's part of, like, the protection rights that you have as, a, as an individual. So that I'm not maybe, but I feel like there would have to be something that would still tie the information yeah, there. To, 
to Rosalio. But don't worry. There are other things we are going to discuss. That <laughs> I'm just trying to like each thing. I'm like, okay, do I believe this? Do I not believe this? <laughs> right. Exactly. And here I'd like to mention that this concludes the part of the podcast that uses facts from a pro anyone side. I prefer my sourcing to be more newspaper records, CCTV, or books. However, in this case, the timeline of the crime that was most detailed happened to land on a heavily influenced website, very skewed that Zachariah Anderson is innocent. And with the computer in court, I feel bad for her. With the computer in court, defense attorney Nicole Mueller tried to save the hole they were buried in by asking, quote, there were no web searches on how to clean up a crime scene (laughs) on the recovered laptop from Anderson. Detective. She's trying. She's like, uh, well, did he search how to murder someone? Mm -hmm." (laughs) Thing is, people do that a lot, though. Yeah, they do. They do. Detective Correa answered, quote, I don't recall at all seeing how to clean up a crime scene, end quote, (laughs) regarding Anderson's laptop, which, as I said in part one, I believe Anderson knew exactly what he was doing. I believe he had it thought out and he was following him. And I have evidence to prove that in testimony that I'm going to share with you. And... I don't think he needed to search how to clean up a crime scene. In fact, I think he was a natural at it, but not enough to escape Kenosha investigators. I have some thoughts after our discussion of the fires last week. Right. So I'm not sure. You let me know when that's a good time to bring that up. No, it's funny you should mention the fire because that is exactly where we're going with this search warrant. Okay, because I've I've made some phone calls to get some information. So this is the last really idea, inkling, anything, anywhere I can find in any corner of the internet that I think could be the reason they got this warrant. Because in reviewing the timeline, I also noted that on the 19th, The very first day that officers arrived at the scene at Anderson's residence, the police had brought the cadaver dogs. So I thought they got there like a couple days later. And I'm not a professional. And unfortunately, we can't get more help from our friends who work in the areas because I don't know if these cadaver dogs were... Which kind of cadaver dogs these were? Cadaver dogs can be trained to, quote, hit or sniff out the scent of decay bacteria, or they can be trained in a separate way to pick up the scent of blood and flesh. Mm -hmm. But if I had to guess, if I had to guess, it would be the former, the decay bacteria, as they knew Rosalio was likely dead due to the amount of blood in his apartment. And that it had been a couple days. And I think the dogs hit on it because they were all the remnants of Anderson's clothes he wore while murdering Rosalio. And it's very grim. And we mentioned that in part one. I'm sorry. I just think it's the only option. 
I believe Anderson also wore those clothes to dismember the body of Gutierrez Jr. and thus put him around the dead body long enough to pick up the scent of decay bacteria. But maybe, just maybe, that was enough to get the judge to sign off on further searching of Anderson's belongings? I don't know. I didn't know that the cadaver dogs hit on his burn pit the very first day the police arrived. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I'd actually, I would say it would be cadaver dogs that weren't trained for the the decay. What makes you say that? Well, I, because I had a very specific conversation with my friend who was a coroner and she taught me some things. So she said that it actually can take a couple days before that scent of decay is actually there for a cadaver dog. You need to okay. basically build up that bacteria. So being only two days later, it is like it's very much like a hit and miss on whether that scent of decay would actually be present or not. Okay. Too too short a window. Exactly. Like it's not impossible. It depends on like temperature and like all different sorts of things to get to that point. So perhaps it, you're right. It would have been the other type of cadaver dog trained to. Yeah. Same concept as what you're saying. Blood. But yeah, the, the, that mm. scent might not actually be there to that level yet. Um, to, to depend on depending on many different circumstances. Like it absolutely could be. But there's also similar circumstances where it might not be. Yeah, I just... Are you going to get into more of the burn piles, or should I say my theory with that now? We're going to talk a little more about it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, then I'm going to wait for my comments, because I feel like it's probably more of a later conversation. But if we weren't going to touch it again... No, we're not going to not touch this again. This is just my only thought that could have been why the judge would sign off on a search warrant for Zachariah Anderson that day, the 19th, the judge signed it that day. Well, why were cadaver dogs brought? Do we know that? Why were, so it's only two days after he disappeared, right? Right. Yes. So what, I'm not sure. I don't remember if you said this or not. What prompted them to look at Anderson in the first place? Just because he was the ex of his current partner? I believe so. And because Sadie Beecham told the police immediately upon their arrival to the scene that he had been stalking them. So I believe that's why their energy is focused mainly on Anderson. And believe me, the defense will complain about it. Did she have a restraining order against him? I do not know. If she has an active protective order against this man. If she doesn't, she should. What I think is she may not have been aware to the extent that he was monitoring her. Well, that was what I want to ask is I just remind me, how does she know he's stalking her other than potentially seeing him? So she has contended that he put a burner phone in her car to track her via GPS. So she knew that ahead of time. Yes. Okay. I think I was thinking that that was all found after 
But no, you, uh, no, never mind. I remember you saying that he had a couple days to potentially get rid of it. Correct. Yes. Between the end of the murder, I think what you and I decided is the most probable thing that happened is that he committed the murder and then immediately walked out and removed that stuff. Because why wouldn't you? Yeah, I was thinking, though, that that was like discovered after the fact and she didn't know before that all happened. Because I'm just and this potentially could go to a warrant as well. So if if she's coming forward saying there's evidence that my ex-boyfriend is stalking me here he i can i have proof that he had a cell phone in my car i had proof of all of these different things Mm -hmm. that's the warrant right there that's it that's what got them the warrant yes it could be that could and that's what got them the cadaver dogs like they're not bringing cadaver dogs to a scene being like oh i think my ex-boyfriend is stalking me right my current boyfriend is missing they're not going to immediately get cadaver dogs She probably brought evidence forward. They're not going to just guess and bring in cadaver dogs. I think she brought the evidence forward to get the search warrant. It it had to have come from her. That makes a whole lot more sense. We touched on that a little bit in part one, too, that we think that closed door testimony had a big part in getting this warrant. Yeah, I think I misunderstood. I thought that all came up during the trial, not that she knew beforehand. No, Sadie Beecham knew that Zachariah Anderson was stalking her. And she had, and if you recall, we had the discussion how they had labeled it for her strangely as, quote, repeat stalking. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And we couldn't, we couldn't fathom what that, kind of meant like have you arrested him for this already what does this mean i still don't know what quote repeat stalking means like you're stalking them or you're not yeah my only guess is that it was like in periods of time so he was he was stalking her for a while stopped then again stalked her for a while yeah so i bet i bet you're right i bet she still had all that stuff that she'd found on her car. Like I found this burner phone in my car. Yeah. It was not mine. I found this GPS tracking unit on my car. Why would I put that there? Yeah. And then maybe there was even like, a like, okay, got the burner phone. Oh, this phone was purchased at this store. This credit card paid for it. It has his name on it. Like that could easily be a few phone calls mm-hmm. to determine and that's how they got their, their search warrant, or that's how they got the cadaver dogs there. It could have been something right. as simple as that. That makes That's so, so much more sense. Exactly. And that's actually what I have listed right here at the very end. And it's, it's documented everywhere when the search began and what they found. But I think the probable cause for this warrant either came from the cadaver dog hit, which is a reach, Or it was a behind-closed-doors discussion between investigators and a judge, and we will never know what was presented to them. Yeah, I I don't think it's the cadaver dogs, because I feel like they need reason to bring the cadaver dogs out there to begin with, Mm -hmm. and that other evidence would provide those reasons, in addition to a search warrant. Well, do remember that it is a really extremely bloody crime scene that we're talking about so perhaps perhaps people thought get the cadaver dogs 
you're right. But you wouldn't have a reason to be like, I think this guy's responsible. Let's bring cadaver dogs to his property. So specifically, unless they had other evidence, that's, Mm -hmm. that's where I think that comes in, which is why I don't think the cadaver dogs are the ones who found evidence to get search warrant. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure she had other, not just burner phones and GPS units attached because both those things are wild and crazy. And I believe she had probably even other things that were even more troubling, like text messages. and. Oh, yeah. Sure, there's a lot that we don't know. Yeah. Here we go again, everybody. Because <laughs> the trial of Zachariah Anderson lasts 17 days again. Woo! I will often mention which day we're on. But not always, as the testimony stands, regardless of if I accidentally attribute it to the wrong date. I hope that's okay with everyone. I think that's fair. It's a lot of days to keep track of. It's a lot of days, and so much happens. That's wild. So, to jump right back in, quickly, Anderson has been charged with four felonies and arrested on the suspicion of the disappearance of Rosalio Gutierrez Jr. He's booked on the 21st of May 2020 on felony stalking charges. However, in December 2020, those charges were upgraded to the ones we are seeing now. He has now been charged with first-degree murder of Rosalio Gutierrez Jr. And in Wisconsin, that is a Class A felony that carries a potential life sentence in prison if he was to be convicted. And I will say, the fact that he was first booked on stalking charges, I think stands by that theory that Sadie brought information forward. Yes, I, I you're right. I'm convinced You're now. right. You're so right. You're that's absolutely that's absolutely accurate. That's absolutely accurate. Took us a while to get there, but we got there. <laughs> I know, but like that's what happened. Like it had to be. And that's why and that's why I'm saying I'm like he did this, he did this. I even went on their pro free Zachariah Anderson website and looked through their stuff. He no. So, and let me tell you more reasons why that's a big no. Though the prosecution charged Zachariah with murder, to this day, Rosalio's body has not been found. I think we mentioned that a little bit ago, but just for a refresher, there has still been nothing in the three years since the crime, no trace of his body. This fact meant that Anderson was charged with another felony of hiding a corpse. And then he faces two felony charges of the stalking of his ex-girlfriend and mother of his children, Sadie Beecham, who we've mentioned, and Gutierrez Jr. Prosecutors allege Anderson used his work van to move Gutierrez's body from his apartment. There are no security cameras in the apartment complex. Still blows my mind. Like, I'm not surprised, but I'm surprised. Yep. All at the same time. I know. I know. I know. 
there are no security cameras. So he very easily could have carried this large package into a work van. And someone might not think it's suspicious because it's a work van. Maybe he had something big he was working on. Right. You. This might be way too early to ask, ask this question, but did they find like blood or anything in his work van? They did. We actually discussed that a little bit in part one. Did they we? found that tiny speck that they were they were afraid luminol would uh, dilute it. And in fact, the very end of our last episode was the evidence she's mentioned again. We'll talk about it, but. It was her testifying in court that the DNA was a match to Rosalio Gutierrez. That's right. That's right. That's right. I needed that reminder. Yes, it was in Anderson's work van. And also, this would explain why there was carpet missing from Anderson's work van. Yep. And the area around where it was removed was stained all around with bleach. So he had cut out the area where the body had gotten blood on it and he tried to get it out with bleach yeah it it looks more suspicious that way (laughs) i may have posted a picture of the back of his van i will check i will post one if i did not because it is really every piece of carpet from where the work van is laid out like he's got the front seat and he's got the passenger side then he should have like a second row but somebody's like pulled it out and there's carpet that goes from the trim of the edge of the trunk closure all the way up okay to those seats sounds like a standard workman yeah and a huge triangle shaped section from the diagonal from the passenger side door down all the way to the trim and then pulled all the way across gutted out (laughs) all the edges around it are covered with leech like yeah he's hiding something he's hiding the carpet is magenta and the (laughs) like the bleach is bleach oh my goodness yeah so The prosecution is facing an uphill battle without a body, as it's very easy to argue that the person was an adult and just left. But we've got a lot of testimony that we're going to get into here that is, it's convinced me, and maybe it'll convince you, and I'm going to share it with you. (laughs) On March 3rd, 2023, three years after his disappearance, Rosalio Gutierrez Jr.'s former partner, Christy Raditz Ortiz described Gutierrez as being a very involved presence in their children's lives, especially when it came to his son's baseball career. She had no suspicions of him attempting to leave his children's lives. She said that in court. Because if you recall, one of the things, Sadie Beecham has children and so does Rosalia. Mm -hmm. We said in part one, that he used to call them weekly and would also call on the weekend. This is his first partner who his children are with testifying to the court that he was a very involved presence and he had no reason to just pick up and leave. Right. 
On March 6th, Officer Jeffrey Von Wee offered expert opinion to the court, saying that at least seven separate events occurred in that apartment to lead to the blood spatter patterns in the various areas of the residence. Separate occurrences? Yeah. The separate events? Yes, and and in the first part we mentioned that Anderson is accused of killing Rosalio with both blunt force and sharp force. Yeah. Trauma weapons. So seven. I'm just, I'm trying, like, is separate events really being like, okay, he, he uh, attacked him with this object, like kids baseball trophy. Like, as morbid as that is, mm-hmm. that's unfortunately mm-hmm. an incredibly good possibility. Common. And then... A separate, another separate instance being potentially another item or like in a, like he started to run away in a different location. Like, is that what they're referring to as separate events? I think that's what they're saying. Okay. That's what it sounds like. Like we said, very bloody crime scene. And they're discussing the patterns and the way they were made. So I would assume that based we know cops said it looked like there was a struggle. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming this was just a horrific scrambling of him trying to get away from this man and right. awful, awful. I'm just like thinking like separate events, the wording of separate events versus the wording of separate blows is what I'm trying to just distinguish between the two. If it's seven separate hits and, and blows to him that cause these injuries or is it more than that potentially i think it's potentially more than that like he it's what i'm thinking too attacked him he attacked him here once that was one event Mm -hmm. he attacked him yet again and yet again and yet again yeah that that's what makes sense with all of this yeah it was yeah it was definitely not just seven separate blows because with the amount of blood it had to have been that he would have been chasing him yeah. and changing weapons and all of a sudden storming him again. Like, it, it oof. Very brutal. And Officer Van Wee was also present for the search of the burn pits. So he's actually pretty involved in this case. But we have something even stranger here. Because also on March 6th, Celia Patterson had begun the difficult task of cleaning up her son's apartment as she was going about. I know. Isn't that sad? And as she was going about this horrific task, she told the court she opened the fridge and found Rosalio's cell phone and other belongings inside. Interesting. Whoever killed him then took his phone and his belongings and put them in the fridge. Why? I don't know. Exactly. I don't know why. I I imagine not to have any any movement on his cell phone, but I I don't know. But why not leave it on the counter or in his pocket? Well, I guess not in his pocket, but cuz uh, you already have clearly an evidence of a crime the moment you walk in the door. Yeah. Like it's not like you're trying to hide yeah. it where it's like you're trying to not make the cell phone visible to anyone thinking that like maybe right. he has it with him type of thing. That that's yeah. interesting. I don't know. Yeah, so we we at least now know where Rosalio's cell phone was and his personal effects because his mother deserves at least that. Right. 
on March 7th, testimony was offered by Aileen Knoll, and I believe this is the Aileen we were discussing previously Mm -hmm. in the text messages with Michael. She is another friend of Rosalio's, and she stated for the jury that she recalled the time that Gutierrez's truck was broken into. And that may be a coincidence, but I think given all these other factors, it may not be. Yeah, you you certainly can't rule Anderson out as a potential suspect in that with the other evidence that we have. Right. And on March 8th, Ron Wittuki from the Milwaukee State Crime Lab peer-reviewed Lisa Treffinger's report. And on she was on the DNA tests from Gutierrez's apartment. Mm-hmm. And this is the speck of, speck of blood we're discussing. And Watuki reaffirmed her findings. So none of Rosalio's blood was found outside his residence, according to these two professionals. But wait. Except for, I imagine. On the door handle. Yeah. Of the van. Yeah. Except for, I mean, yeah. Okay. That's what I imagine. But wait, didn't they find the the they found remnants of clothing in the burn pits? Didn't that have blood mm-hmm. on it? It didn't say anywhere if if that clothing had blood on it. It just okay. said it was remnants of a t shirt that Anderson often wore. Okay. Okay, that may that kind of fits my personal theory of some of the burn pits that we'll we'll get into. Okay. Okay. Casalina Rumsberg. Christine Remsburg's younger sister told the court that Anderson did not spend the night at their apartment on May 17, 2020, as the police had been told by Christine. Again, I wonder if she reached out to correct her mistake of alibiing Anderson or if this was how the prosecution found out. Yeah, I still have questions. But yeah, her younger sister is saying no. He was not here. The last witness on March 8th is Marquan Washington, and he testified saying that he shared a jail cell with Anderson, who said that he believed the police were framing him and that he could beat their case. The actual audacity. Like, what a monster. Go ahead. Give it a try. It doesn't seem like it's going to be working out well for you. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Try that on for size. See how that goes. (laughs) The defense, this, you know, in all the articles I read, it said that this prosecution team and this defense team were at odds. Like, there was tension. It was like a high-pressure, accusatory error very divided parties in the litigators even so like there it's a lot it's a lot and so the defense had repeatedly made claims without merit that district attorney gravely coached washington while he was on the stand washington repeated a story where anderson had been sleeping and talking and saying die 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 Eventually, so loudly, he woke himself up. The defense said that Gravely had been mouthing, die, die, to Washington. Gravely denied the accusation and was caught off guard by the claim. 
He said such claims are a poison to the case, and that day was the first time the issue was brought to him. I think he says it best when Gravely says, quote, This is not the first time we've had episodes where there have been specific representations made which were then demonstrably able to be proven false. So here we are again, and I just want to be sure the court is taking that into account when it thinks about presentation of this evidence in any fashion. Hmm. End quote. So, okay. Um, I have the feeling that a district attorney is not likely um, to be coaching a witness yeah. and m- mouthing the words along with them. <laughs> why would he why would he like why it, would he? okay there may be claims where there's coaching of a witness i like that those are that's a real claim for a real reason but to go as far it to happens. say that he was mouthing the words along with them right like he's in a middle school play and can't remember his lines <laughs> right what are you saying? And the answer is they're saying anything. They're they're wasting time. They're trying to to get mm-hmm. some sort get him riled up and potentially make a mistake. That's all that this is. Oh, that, yeah. Like there's nothing else to this. They know these claims mm-hmm. are false. They're they're just trying to get a rise out of them. They're trying to shake gravely, but he he knows what ha- a good case he exactly. Has. And Marquan Washington remained on the stand the next day with, with more evidence to give the court and told another disturbing story, testifying that when they shared a cell, Anderson admitted to stabbing Gutierrez. Washington also said Anderson went into full detail, saying how he had planned the killing by getting to know Gutierrez, learning where he lived, what he drove and when to be in a particular area to do the killing. So we all knew that Anderson was guilty of stalking minimum, but we have more proof here that all the charges brought against him are 100% accurate. Interesting. So I I was about to say, before you got to this point, it's like, it's hard to trust a jail informant. Like there, there's usually more incentives to lie than to tell the truth. You're not wrong. But until you got to that point where it's like, okay, yeah, he, he did he did try to do all that stuff based on all the other evidence that we are seeing. So Right, like it's a it's a lot. Like it's a lot to make up. Yeah, like I will say the whole die 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 thing that he like woke himself up from sleeping, that does seem like a stretch. It does. That's it's not yeah, impossible. Yeah. Like your brain will do things during traumatic times and clearly Anderson is in a traumatic time like he is he did it himself but he is in a traumatic time right he put himself there so it's not like that's impossible that his brain is going through something like that but that's that's a, a pretty unlikely claim when you kind of look at the whole grand scheme of everything but once you get to that part where it's like he's basically giving the details of how he stalked to then kill that's interesting yes exactly he's telling washington like i learned where he lived i learned what car he drove i learned when to be mm-hmm. where to rosalio never stood a chance no. against this man because he was obsessed and he went into full detail so 
this day in court is not done, though. A friend of Anderson's, Andrew Schultz, said he was at Anderson's home on May 19th, 2020. And remember, that puts us two days after Rosalio's mm-hmm. killing. And Schultz saw Anderson using his fire pit. He clarified under cross-examination that Anderson routinely burns things from job sites. Anderson also had a free burn permit dating back to 2018. Okay, interesting. Wow, this trial goes on forever. (laughs) On the 13th of March, Sadie Beecham, Anderson's ex-girlfriend, who he stalked, harassed, and tormented, took the stand to confirm she was dating Rosalio at the time he went missing. March 14th would be the bigger day in court. This puts us on day 10 of Anderson's murder trial. It began with Sadie finishing cross-examination questions from the defense about her reactions and subsequent actions following Gutierrez's disappearance, which we all know is garbage because everyone grieves differently. But I think the defense is, of course, using this as a tactic at Sadie's expense. Continuing on day 10, detectives and Walmart employees then testified showing Anderson went to Walmart on May 18, 2020, just one day after there was no more contact from Rosalio. And he purchased Q-tips, Old Spice, a shaver, garbage bags, gloves, sardines, and Clorox wipes. Okay. Which... You can tell he was just throwing stuff in there (laughs) to show he wasn't a murderer. And most of those things were listed at the beginning, except the can of sardines. And also that means he eats sardines, so he's gross. Or he's trying to cover up a smell. (laughs) Right, could be covering up a smell. I was just being a hater. I was just being a hater and saying, (laughs) don't bring your sardines near me. Nasty. Also on this day, Sadie Beecham's best friend took to the stand to further explain the, they needed, the, she took to the stand to give further explanation that Anderson was stalking Beecham, and she offered incidents that Sadie had told her that could be perceived as stalking. That's not potentially thrown out as hearsay, or did she witness things as well? I believe it, Court TV didn't say it got thrown out, and they would have said that got thrown out. So I imagine that's different she, if she observed, observed it versus just being told. But I wouldn't be surprised if she's her best friend. She she easily could have seen stuff. I imagine she could have seen it because we said this a lot in part one. Sadie and Rosalio have been together for three years. Yeah, that still blows my mind that. <laughs> So has he has he been doing this for three years and that's how her friend was able to give like, no, I saw him mm-hmm. follow her. I saw his car follow her while we were trying yeah. to get somewhere. You know, I, I don't know. And I know I keep referring to part one, but listen to part one. It has a lot of juice. And Anderson had withdrawn thousands of dollars from his bank account. Two days before Gutierrez disappeared, if you remember, mm-hmm. his escape yeah. fund, quote unquote. And I, it's not super relevant, but I just wanted for the record to show that it was $50,000 that of money. he had in his apartment 
Yes, he had $50,000. Run immediately. It still just blows my mind. Nope, nowhere. He didn't go nowhere. He just said, I am bulletproof. Then why didn't you the 50 grand? (laughs) Right. And we also now get into something we talked a little bit about in part one the burn pit at Zachariah Anderson's home and tree farm. May 19th, 2020, cadaver dogs hit on the pits. And we said in the first episode that they found remnants of clothing, bleach bottles, steel-toed boots. He was burning everything. I, I don't have the full list for you, but each of those separate items I just listed was found in a burn pit. However, on closer inspection of the burn pits, the investigators also discovered in the still smoldering pit at Anderson's home two jean buttons like to a denim set of jeans and underwear along with the steel-toed boots. And these are all items that it is suspected Anderson wore. I think I know this answer just based on the way way you worded all of this. Do we know which burn pit was lit first? The one at the tree farm? And then the... Well, the reason I'm, I think I might know the answer is because you said that it's still smoldering at Anderson's home. So that means that one was lit quite recently. So I would assume, Mm -hmm. yeah, since they basically found them pretty close to the same time, the one up in the family tree farm, and was it Sockville, was first. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was Sockville. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that fire would have, would have probably burned first and burned out. Okay. This adds to, like, I, I think I have a theory, and I, it, this is all fitting in my theory that I made between episodes. Yeah, and Anderson, the one in front of his home, is still smoldering. Yep. Okay. And that was listed okay. in multi- it, multiple. It, it's all parts. coming together in my head. <laughs> and I don't have dates on when they testified, but Rosalio's family maintained under testimony that Gutierrez was a devoted father to his two young children and would never have abandoned his loved ones or his commitments. So the search warrant that they get, they also get Anderson's phone. And the defense at this point has to be crying out. To, has to be crying out to Anderson, please plead out. I, they have to. They have to be. Police also recovered turn-by-turn directions to Kenosha from Anderson's phone days <laughs> before Gutierrez okay. disappeared. Because he was from Mequon, right? Yeah. Okay, and that's that's a bit north. It's, yes. it's it's not a terribly long drive, but Mequon's up by Milwaukee, and Kenosha's like at the border of yes. Illinois and Wisconsin. It's an hour to Sockville, and Sockville's north of Mequon. So Mequon's kind of between the two. Okay. Um, I, was... I, I would say it, it maybe half an hour, depending on traffic. Okay. It's not that it's not that long. Okay. Well, he needed a. He didn't know how traffic was, apparently, and went ahead and looked it up. (laughs) Idiot. When police arrived at the Kenosha apartment, Gutierrez's apartment, Korea said there were no immediate signs of forced entry consistent with where the blood was. So, quote, the person from the inside had opened that door to the outside. Oh, which is a little different than what we were talking about. It is a little different than what we were talking about. I think it's the same thing that, like, we, there's 
he had no chance to avoid this because he was being stalked. And when he opened his door to a stranger to him, Anderson ambushed and attacked him. And I don't know if he knew what Zachariah Anderson looked like. I don't know. I don't know why he opened his door, but the evidence from the blood is showing that the person opened the door from the inside. It could have even been a situation, which I've heard this sort of thing before, and it's terrifying, but he, mm-hmm. Anderson figured out a way to introduce himself to Rosalio. Like, he could have been, like, a, a nice, and then just been like, oh, and, like, even just, like, super casual, not even, like, friends, buddy, buddy, but, like, it could have just been something where it's, like, he pickpocketed his wallet or something and to give it back and be like oh here's your, i saw your address on your wallet here you go right. i wanted to make sure you get this like it could have been something as benign seemingly as that or it could have been a feeling like it was a total stranger at a store and that ties back to exactly what washington was saying when anderson went into full detail the first thing he said was by getting to know gutierrez and in a not suspicious way where Gutierrez isn't going to be like, oh, I met this dude today. Like, it was kind of weird. Like, something super casual. Mm-hmm. And it was weird. Yeah. Right. Right. It's going to be like, oh, hey, partner, you dropped this $10 bill. Like, and he's like, oh, I didn't even know I had 10 bucks. This is an awesome day. And in he, in he goes. He's a monster. So still continuing into the day on March 14th, An FBI agent detailed the movements of Anderson's phone on May 17, 2020, the day Gutierrez disappeared, to further corroborate there was no activity on Anderson's phone during the time of Gutierrez's murder. An officer who personally examined Anderson's computer told the judge that he had found the folder with Gutierrez's name on it. (laughs) Just, just like, really mad. So this is just everybody saying, yes, we did find this. It's totally from his house and like his name is on it. Right. Like I'm all for like properly naming folders on your computer and keeping things very organized on your computer. Sure. But I'm not having like dossiers on people. No. (laughs) Like like my desktop, like it's cases. So I guess maybe it kind of is. But... (laughs) yeah i get it i get it Mm, uh mine might be the same but but we're not out here stalking people like we're looking at public records right exactly we're getting subscriptions to newspapers.com we're not out to get your family (laughs) exactly day 11 of the trial is a big one and part of the reason that i wanted to cover this case and part of the reason that soon you are going to look at the photo that i'm going to ask you to look at you'll see why it was march 15th 2023 and anderson's 14-year-old daughter took the stand to testify oh no i know the minor testified that during one of his instances of stalking even brought his child along oh my goodness yeah she shared she remembers in the early morning hours of april 25th 2020 they went to beecham's house and she saw her father peer through the window and she could see Beecham inside with Gutierrez. She further testified that her father had asked her to spy on her mother and record, quote, 
every single time my mother would get upset, end quote. She also testified that he would, quote, frequently bring up Gutierrez when she saw him. Hmm. Yeah, so in the limited time that you're getting with your minor child, you're discussing your ex-partner's new and, and Okay, like the whole getting upset thing. Like, what's your goal? Is your goal to, like, then bring evidence and be like, oh, you're so unhappy with this guy. Like, look look at all this. Right. Your daughter's witnessing yeah. it. Is that his end game here? I'm as confused as you as why he would be like, look, I had our child keep a list of all the times you were unhappy. Don't you want to come be my partner again? Is I'd be like, I'm out of here. Out of here. Yeah. Anderson also went through Gutierrez's truck and took photos of the vehicle's license plate and registration, she testified. Which matches with it potentially being broken into before. Correct. That his friend testified to. Mm -hmm. He then rang the doorbell of the home and fled, she said. Ding dong ditched? Yes. (laughs) Look. Yes. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Even as a teenager, I've never done that. (laughs) He ding dong ditched. Like, what is going on inside your mind? Oh, God. I just like. Right now, Mr. Anderson. It's one of those things. We did this. I think, well, in the next episode, you guys will hear, there were points where I was like kind of laughing through some of it because I'm so uncomfortable with everything that's being said. Right. (laughs) It's like, how did your brain get this way? Yeah, I just can't get it. I I don't want to. I don't want to understand. No, no. If I'm ever like, that makes sense. I'd be like, oh, that's a little concerning. Maybe we should close the laptop for a little while. Yeah, let's make a deal. If anything's making sense in in moments like this when we're reading it, we got to call each other and be like, okay. Yeah. Talk the other down. Yeah, (laughs) right. Once we we stop the recording, like, just be like, girl, you can't go out there and do anything about this because you know that you wouldn't survive in prison. I don't have any bone density and no upper body strength. Yeah, I just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm comfy at home with my cat. Like, that's right. <laughs> they would kill me. They would, they would absolutely kill me. Yeah, yeah. I have a little furball that I have to come home to and take care of. I can't do that if I'm in prison. No. And this isn't even the end of her testimony because the teenager also testified that her father told her about his plans to follow his love rival who he referred to using a racial slur. Of course. Which, gross, you're a murderer, a stalker, and now a racist. Congratulations. I'm not surprised. Right. Oh, that tracks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anderson's daughter said, quote, he said something about showing him who the man was, and I didn't quite understand, but you kind of caught on to things that my dad was referring to or was implying. She said, quote, my dad said to me, he said, in quotes again, I may just watch him or follow him to his house one time just for the fun of it. Those were his exact words to me, end quote. Okay. If you're saying you're going to show him who the man is, come on. (laughs) Like, that statement is... What? There's a reason that that's not really a statement anymore. Like, some people use it, but I think as a whole... At least the people in my world that I surround myself with don't say things like that because like 
everyone's their own individual person. <laughs> That's how I weed people out. Yeah, yeah. And this is just wild to me that you would speak to your 14 year old daughter like this you know what this says to me he doesn't have friends Hmm. no i don't think so he can't talk to anyone else other than his 14 year old daughter and his 14 year old daughter isn't equipped to handle this kind of conversation to tell him this isn't okay yeah hell no especially since she's like spending time with her mom And she is like, I love my mother as well. And what are you doing to her? Yeah. And she's just like, she's not, her brain is not developed in the way to handle this sort of confrontation and drama that would result in all of this. No, you shouldn't be exposing children to this, especially when they are this age. Mm -hmm. Like this is formative years that you are essentially using her to monitor her own mother. Yeah, she's a tool to you. Mm-hmm. She also said she saw Anderson bring a chainsaw to their family tree farm to have other family members help him fix it. I don't know if it's relevant, but she testified to it in court. And it horrifies me what he might have needed that chainsaw for, given that we have never found Rosalia's body. Right. When asked, Anderson's own daughter said that she had been, quote, controlled by Anderson. And if you've ever been a victim of domestic violence, please hit the skip button, skip 30 seconds, skip 30 seconds. He did it in a very specific way that is disgusting. The minor child knew that her father owned a gun and she said that she had been threatened by it, though didn't identify Anderson as the person who threatened her with it. Though I think we all know... That in this case, it was probably Anderson. Right. I don't know who else would have known the location of the gun in his home. It's just interesting that she didn't identify him. Like, that's that has to be so traumatic. She's probably frightened. Yeah, that has to be incredibly traumatic. Yeah. She's probably really scared. She already knew he had a gun. She already knew that he would point it at her. Like, she already knew that he wanted her to follow her mother around. Yeah, and, like, what if he gets out? What if he isn't charged, like, he isn't convicted? This poor child. Like, I I can understand. That has to be a fear. Right, and she's just back at home with him, and she doesn't know what's going to happen. It's just, it's interesting to me that she's talking about all of these other things so specifically, and she doesn't mention the name. Like, I, I what I'm thinking, like, is there potentially mm-hmm. somebody else involved? I don't know. Right now I'm thinking no, but it that's kind of why I'm I'm interested in the idea of her not naming him when she said everything else. I don't know because I agree with your earlier uh, posit that he doesn't really have friends. Yeah, I don't think he has many friends. I don't know how many other people would know where the gun was in his house. There was no possibility of him having another partner or anything another another woman that he was with somebody that he was with at that point that could have been in the home that might not know his whole plan and and wanting to kill rosalio but well like could somebody else be in the home i i suppose because given we we don't know she did not testify as to when she was threatened with the gun And we know that it's been three years since they've broken up. Maybe he's dating as well. Maybe someone, I don't know, he showed them where the gun was and the person pulled it on his daughter. 
I don't, I don't know. I, th- I, that sounds so illogical to me. I'll say it feels less likely, but just kind of interesting. That... Yeah. I, I feel like I'm reaching. Yeah, I agree. I feel like I'm turning, I'm turning myself into a pretzel trying to make it anybody but Anderson that pointed this gun at her. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm just trying to think of either trauma or sure. what else could it be? Why she doesn't say his name. Yeah. So we now get to the point that made me really want to cover this. Anderson is accused by his own defense of using sign language to communicate with the minor when she was on the stand. Oh, God. Sam, I would like you to look at the image on your phone and tell me that it does not look like a parent telling a child not to speak. Oh, yep. (laughs) It's so blatant. Do you see, do you believe that in open? That's like what you give like a, a toddler who's like loud in a restaurant and you're trying to like calm them down. Yes. You, we'll post the image on our Instagram and the image Sam and I are discussing. Anderson clearly motions with his right hand and he is pinching his lips closed and then there is video which i will try to get on instagram uh we're working on it he is pinching his lips closed and the video then shows anderson as he slightly shakes his head no you need to like follow up and have that head shake where it's like that like like kind of that look of like we'll talk about this when you get home type of type of look from a parent he literally yeah pinches his lips closed slightly shakes his head then seconds later he again uses his right hand to pinch his lips together as though he is threatening his daughter not to talk yeah yeah sure looks like it to me twice in open court and sam had never seen that photo a day in her life no i've been like it's been on my phone since we started recording an hour and 20 minutes now Mm -hmm. And I've been, like, avoiding touching my phone for any reason. Yeah. And tell me that picture couldn't be anything else. No, not at all. Like, it, that's it. it. And it's not even looking like... It doesn't even look like he's, like, resting. Because you know how, like, sometimes, like, you'll you'll put your hand under your chin or something? Uh, right. That's not what it is. Sure. It's not. It's It's not. It's not at all. It's a very clear pursing of the lips... And and the right forefinger and thumb closing them together. Mm-hmm. It's very clear. And the court clerk witnessed Anderson making these sign language movements, attempting to influence his daughter's testimony. And as a result, the court had to find a different clerk to finish the case. So that's how seriously they took these signs that he was giving her. Which is ridiculous with the fact that the defense was accusing the prosecution of coaching. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys are coaching your your witnesses. And yet we have to call out our own boy sitting next to us that he is behaving this way in open court. I It blew my mind. I was like, oh, my God. Do you what do you think? It's the thing of killer they just think they're smarter than everyone else i'm like what part of you thought this was gonna work right and i'm i'm still and i was talking to my sister about this the other day the day after we recorded how have i not heard about this case being from wisconsin Mm -hmm. i i don't i don't get it i i still claim to be a wisconsinite even though i live in illinois now and i don't know Uh, it's this trial every last witness that goes up 
is just offering more information to clarify his guilt. Right. Sure seems like it. It's wild. On March 16th, 2023, testimony Korea submitted to the court that authorities subpoenaed Amazon purchase records for items bought in the weeks before Gutierrez disappeared by Anderson. The records showed two GPS tracking devices were purchased, Korea said. I wonder if if Sadie had one of those tracking devices and that's what she gave and that's exactly how they got their search warrant. Mhm. Mhm. It could that could absolutely be the match that ignited this and got him caught. Cuz if he bought it on Amazon, that's so easy to trace. So easy. Yeah. 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 And I'm like we've just said, I I'm just positive that one was to monitor Sadie Beecham and one was to monitor Gutierrez Jr. Because he was, quote, getting to know him, know what he drove. So he would know how to put this tracking device on it. Mm-hmm. Everything like this. So I'm like I said, I'm I'm positive, but I'm not a law enforcement professional or a judge. Detective Vincent Correa, who has been doing the lion's share, the Lord's work on his testimony, he is testifying his ass off. (laughs) He was the last to give testimony for the state, and Correa stated that several text messages were sent between Anderson and Beecham in the week before Gutierrez's death. Oh. Yes. Korea also showed jurors the movements of Anderson allegedly made made in Kenosha near Gutierrez's residence in the days before his disappearance, based on data from Anderson's cell phone. It was also stated Anderson appeared to be in the vicinity of Gutierrez's home on May 13th, 2020. So he's tracking Rosalia's movements and finding out when he can commit this crime. And he's visiting what will be the scene of the murder multiple times. I know that there's a lot of things within the timeline before the murder that is not super clear. But the the statements with the daughter and what Anderson was saying to her about his plan to stalk. Do you know how far before the murder those statements were? I believe earlier in her testimony, she had shared, she said she remembered it being April 25th, 2020. Okay. That kind of goes with what I was about to like. That would have been three, three weeks or so. So, yeah. Um. Okay. So the reason why I'm asking this is because this kind of goes to the repeat stalking idea that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. What if... Mm-hmm potentially sometime in april like this is pure speculation but let's say sometime in april that's when anderson discovered that sadie was dating somebody so she's been with him for three years he has no idea Mm -hmm. because he hasn't stalked her in three years right and then all of this spirals within three weeks right right it's it it escalates extremely quickly because he can't control himself because it, yeah. he is a homicidal stalker. But that goes to the same idea of repeat stalking. It makes a lot more sense that way. It was episodic. Like, he would stalk her for a bit and then 
lay back, cooling off period, like a serial killer. Yeah, and he may even have been like keeping tabs on her within those three years, but not realized she was in a relationship. Yeah, exactly. And that was when he either got confirmation or just discovered it outright. And that goes more to what we discussed in part one when we said that Sadie and Rosalio were, they were not married. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there wasn't really any... Or it could even be that maybe he did know they were in a relationship, but somehow found out Rosalio was on dating apps and that set him off. Like, he's not treating her right. I'm a better fit. I'm I'm the I'm going to show him who the man is. Like, this is obviously I'm just thinking of this off the top of my head, but like those all seem like potential motives for his current mindset. Those all seem. Yeah. Those all seem like they could make sense. Mm -hmm. Korea further testified that Anderson did not answer calls or text messages or search the Internet on his mobile devices on May 17th, 2020, between 7.34 p.m. to 11.19 p.m. This is the time period Anderson is accused of killing Gutierrez. Yeah, wasn't it a wi- like a really short window, a little after 8 to about 8.30? Incredibly short. I'm still curious why that's so short. I'm hoping that comes up. I don't know that it will. I think they just were able to posit that the blood loss would have been so significant by this point that he would be down and out. And his neighbor did hear a bang, so maybe that helped them. Yeah. Maybe that helped. I'm wondering if someone saw, like, the van drive away or something. Potentially. Because I can understand, like, saying, like, okay, the bang happened at, like, 8, 10 or whatever. But the ending time of being, like, 30 minutes later is a very short time. So I was just curious. Mm-hmm. In working the case, investigators determined that Rosalio was killed in his home on May 17, 2020, between 9.06 p.m. and 9.37 p.m. Yeah, I knew it was a super short period of time. Yeah, super short, frenzied, I would use, mm-hmm. is the word I would use. And no, there's no activity, no calls, no texts, no internet searches from 7.34 p.m., to 11 19 p.m yeah on Henderson's probably was just sitting there watching for an hour and a half Mm -hmm. lastly detective korea walked the judge jury and audience through the scene their investigation of a landfill nearby and his interview with anderson on march 16th 2023 the state rested its case which fair they brought a lot forward in my opinion they've met the burden of The defense clarified on March 17th that luminol was used to test the stains in Anderson's van and luminol also reacts to bleach. Yes, it does. So I imagine they're they're trying to clarify the bleach stains in Anderson's van. I don't understand how they're saying some like did the luminol cause the bleach reaction in his carpeting? I think what they're trying to say I don't understand. I get it, but I think it's kind of a fruitless effort. I think what they're really trying to say is like, yeah, bleach has been used in this van. So what? What you're seeing doesn't have to mean that there's anything blood related to these the luminol markings that you're seeing in evidence. I think that's what they're saying. Okay. I, I think that it's their other evidence makes that not really a factor, yeah. but they're doing what they can. 
Exactly. I, I yeah. I was like, I'm just trying to see how they're jamming this square peg into the round hole. Um, I think they're just trying to make a point, make you forget about the blood. Oh yeah. So you know that he did use bleach. Yeah, yeah, he did. It's it's a work van. He had to clean it. Yeah. 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 So I put in the script. I imagine they're trying to clarify the bleach stains in Anderson's van. However, we know that the most important piece of DNA evidence was that speck of blood on the trim. Exactly. Of the That's car. why it doesn't really matter what they're saying. They're just trying. Yes. It was not on the carpeting inside the van. The sample was collected from the trim of the van where the trunk would close. Just so we're clear. And bleach... <laughs> Like, you might not get rid of all of the blood with bleach. You probably won't. But you might get diluted enough where it can't properly be tested and properly identified mm-hmm. as blood, let alone DNA. Exactly. So, like, there could have been things in there that they we just don't know because he did dilute it enough. Yeah, that's and that's my, the very next thing in my script is we also know that that the sample collected was so small that they very specifically did not want to treat it with luminol out of fears of diluting it. Exactly. Yeah. That's all documented. That's all documented. Uh, yeah. Now I guess it makes more sense that they're reaching with this whole luminol thing. But I said, so I suppose luminol would show bleach on your carpet and that's evidence in itself, though. That there's bleach on your carpet. There's bleach right next to the section that just so happened to be missing. Yeah, they're they're really stretching based on the other evidence surrounding this. Yeah, but that's that's all I can really think of of why they're bringing it up the way that they are. Right, right. They're trying, which is why I'm still wondering at what point are they like plead out, <laughs> right? Plead out, and they'll give you parole, maybe. And maybe you'll get because the well, the defense also presented that no GPS trackers were found on Gutierrez's vehicle. However, that makes me wonder how much time Anderson had after the murder Mm -hmm. and between the investigation to potentially remove something. We've talked about this extensively. Why wouldn't he just take it with him right after he died? Yeah, exactly. And if he bought two, like we already know, his Amazon yeah. purchases had two, one for each of their cars. Uh-huh. It makes sense. Right, right. And maybe Sadie Beecham was so used to this type of type of behavior, she pulled hers off and was able to show it to the police. That's what I'm thinking got the search warrant. Uh, I, I, I'm mm-hmm. fairly mm-hmm. confident in that. Obviously, I don't know for a fact, but... Mm-hmm. It makes a whole lot of sense. I feel like if you've been stalked and followed and intimidated this much, you know when someone's near you, you can feel the danger you are in. And she maybe just had the idea to look under her car and see if anything was there. And that was what got them their search. Well, and we know that she wasn't with him when he was murdered. So her car's just separate. Her car's not there. He can't just go in and yes. grab it necessarily. Exactly. Her car is at a different location. So he could easily get rid of the GPS tracker on Gutierrez's exactly. vehicle. But he could not easily get rid of a tracker placed on Sadie Beecham's. Mm-hmm. So that's just what we're saying. It's just sounding right. 
Marquand Washington was recalled to the stand as the defense believed the DA had told Marquand Washington that he would, quote, go to bat for them if he testified according to the defense. Washington insisted that he doesn't try to jump on cases. In their line of questioning, the defense tried to assert to Washington that the state said this, and the state had told him he would receive benefits for testimony. He denied this during their entire line of questioning. I was going to ask, did he get some sort of deal for testifying? It sounds like he didn't. Do you know what he was in prison for? From everything I've seen, I could not... No, I don't know what he was in prison for. Like, how much time does he have left? Like, is it worth him talking and potentially having the prison justice system aka other inmates yeah come after him if yeah. he testifies like there, there's a lot to it right is it worth it to be considered a snitch exactly prison? so that just makes me I, I think he's telling the truth and i think anderson told him everything i think it's definitely possible I'm not super convinced over the whole, like, waking up out of his sleep yelling die, but yeah, I think that there he is yeah. telling minimally pieces of the truth. Yeah, the die, die, die till he wakes himself up is a little cinematic for me. A- exactly. I do believe that this man heard a confession from Zachariah Anderson that was incredibly detailed. Yeah, the pieces fit. I do believe that. Yeah. And the defense believed the word of another old cellmate of Anderson's, Nicholas McAtee, that Mark One Washington had stated to McAtee that he, quote, wanted to jump on other people's cases. McAtee stated that the state offered him benefits if Anderson testified for the prosecution. McAtee's lawyer was quick to point out that they have no knowledge of any agreement. And they're they're required to say if they do or not. Like, that is a legal requirement. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so McAtee is just saying this, and his lawyer literally has to refute him and say, we have no knowledge of any agreement between Washington and the state. Yeah. McAtee also said he was testifying for the defense because it was, quote, the right Thing to do. <laughs> Good thing I'm handing out medals today, Nicholas. Here's yours. <laughs> I I couldn't find though, as hard as I looked, and I looked hard because I want to remind you this is a criminal who's committed an offense that he put him in prison, and I couldn't find what Nicholas McAtee was convicted of either. Yeah, because that I think that makes a difference in in whether I think it does too. We really put I think it does so too. much weight on either one of these. These witnesses. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. The trial had now stretched to two weeks after court was again in session on March 20th, 2023. It was mentioned in court that Anderson's clothes showed no stains. However, after it was clarified that in 2018, Anderson had a burn permit and was allowed to have controlled burns at his house. Mm -hmm. So... We all remember where the cadaver dog hit. Yeah. But this is, uh, the defense is saying the the clothing showed no stains. And the defense is, they're given discovery of all evidence that the prosecution has. Mm -hmm. They could say, this shows no signs of stains to me. But, you know, what's a stain to one person to 
another, you know? It still kind of goes into my theory. I think my th- I think I'll talk about my full theory during final thoughts. So th- maybe this will fit your theory because this I couldn't make sense of. It was also mentioned that on May 18th, 2020, the day after he murdered Rosalio, he picked up his tax returns. More money. Yeah, I guess more money for the escape fund. Yeah, because I was I wasn't sure how that's I was like, I don't really know how that's relevant. And clearly the defense wasn't sure either because they chose this day to rest their case. (laughs) I I honestly I think the only thing that really would say is more money, like obviously, depending on Mm -hmm. his taxes and everything, he could have a few thousand bucks in his pocket now, plus the 50 Mm -hmm. grand he has. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, because that refund check can be sweet. Exactly. So on March 21st, closing arguments are given. And the jury goes to deliberation on the 15th day of the trial of Zachariah Anderson. The prosecutors maintain that Gutierrez is unfortunately deceased due in part to the large amount of blood spatter found inside his apartment and DNA matching Gutierrez in Anderson's work van. During their closing arguments, the prosecution said, quote, what are the chances that in this exact square foot of the planet Earth, a man who is innocently and falsely accused would have the blood of a man who died on May 17th? How could that happen? End quote. Yeah. I think that's a great question. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Like the the... the chances are so slim like i you could argue more so like if this were sadie like thank goodness it's not her as well but you can make the Mm -hmm. argument of like let's say Mm -hmm. this is sadie she actually had a connection to anderson you could argue that more than rosalio yeah right oh you know he had been in her house oh they were together for a certain period of they time they shared a kid oh, this that the other thing and you're absolutely right it could have been sadie because because imagine if she had been home with gutierrez i don't know if anderson would have decided not to attack if he knew sadie was there or if he wanted them both I don't know. I have the feeling, just based on what we know with the stalking, that he knew he was home alone and that's what he wanted. That's just my gut feeling. Yeah, and he wanted Sadie. Yeah, and he wanted Sadie to be back with him and their children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like I said, yeah, that's a wonderful question. How innocently and falsely accused, yet the blood is there. How would that happen, Mr. Anderson? And this will break your heart. On March 22nd, 2023, and many other days, Gutierrez's friends and family filled the courtroom each day of the trial, and many were always wearing Chicago Cubs gear, which was Gutierrez's favorite team. Oh, that does break my heart. As a a diehard Cubs fan, that camaraderie Mm -hmm. and that just love. Yes, and and to know that like most people around you are going to be in like suits and ties, and you're like, no, my buddy would want me to wear Cubs and gear in Wisconsin. and we're coming in colors. <laughs> I I love that. I love that. I do too. I really do. Uh, yeah. So he, yeah, that camaraderie. Yeah. That they. This is my buddy's favorite team, and we're coming every day. It said, like each day of the trial, the courtroom was full. Yeah, and like. Of people in Cubs gear. And any big sports team, like, you have camaraderie with that. But I I feel like maybe it's because I'm a fan. There's a special bond when it comes to Cubs fans. Like, there's there's something (laughs) special there. 
tiny, tiny, tiny little side story. I was in Boston to see the Cubs play Fenway. I'm wearing my Cubs gear. It was a night mm-hmm. game, but I'm I'm out in Boston all day long wearing my Cubs gear. You would just walk next to people on the sidewalk who are wearing Cubs gear, and it's just like a high five going down the street. You have no clue who this person is. That's just that's the attitude as Cubs fans. So it's like that's like that's why it's like extra special. When the Cubs played the series against the Guardians, which don't even get me started on what that was like for me <laughs> as someone who had been in Chicago for only three years. Don't even get me started on it. But when the Cubs played the Guardians... This is the 2016 World Series. Yes. The Cubs broke the curse and they won. There were fireworks going off in the sky. And I looked outside the front of my apartment and there was a man shirtless in the street, high-fiving, passing Oh, yeah. I'm talking... He is standing on the double yellow and people are rolling down their windows to high-five. I would have in a heartbeat. Like, it's... (laughs) Yeah, that's so he was loved and he was honored every day in court. They were showing up in Cubs gear. Yeah, that's special. And and that same day, March 22nd, 2023, the jury had a verdict. There was a jury of seven women and five men who deliberated the charges against Anderson. And they reached an accord after only 10 hours as long as a trial that is, that's a short deliberation. <laughs> Ten hours. <laughs> Again, as is typical with these cases, I'm extremely professional. <laughs> Ten hours. Ten hours. Again, as is typical with these cases, we know that either an extremely long jury deliberation or an extremely short jury deliberation, like this one, Gives you a good idea of the verdict. And on the evening of March 22nd, 2023, a jury of his peers found Zachariah Anderson guilty in Kenosha County Circuit Court of first degree intentional homicide, hiding a corpse, and two counts of repeat stalking. Sounds right to me. With some of these criminals, they're all the same. Anderson showed no emotion as the verdict was read. And that reaction alone to me is extremely troubling because if you had been convicted of horrible crimes that you were innocent of, you would likely show shock or anger or sadness. According to Fox News 6 Local, Anderson showed nothing, which informs you how much he thought of taking the life of Gutierrez. And it, yeah, exactly. And it, it, it tells you that he has, at this point, and this is three years later, come to terms with the fact of what he did and he's spending his, the rest of his life in prison. Yeah, I think he's he's quickly coming to terms with the fact that he's guilty. Yeah. And I just can't believe before they even read the verdict, like he's just showing no emotion. Well, he knows if they come back that quick, <laughs> he knows what it means too. Yeah, and, and there's, there's more of no emotion from him which will confirm even more. Kenosha County District Attorney Jessica Kreiserek had this to say, which I think is pretty powerful. Quote, This case is really a testament to good winning over evil, and the jury being able to look past the fact that we still, to this day, do not know where Gutierrez is. End quote. So not only did Anderson terrorize his ex, murder her boyfriend of three years, and hide his corpse, He had one more evil thing to do, perhaps most evil, 
to deny the entire Gutierrez family an opportunity to lay their family member to rest. Yeah. And we're getting toward victim impact statements and he doesn't care. I hate this guy. I told you early in this case, I, Celia Patterson, Gutierrez Jr.'s mother, had this to say, quote, I'm eternally grateful. My husband and I, Rosalio, has his justice. I'm glad that the family has found peace in this verdict. My strong hope for them is that they find the remains of their son and are able to follow his final wishes, whatever they may be. The friends and family of Gutierrez Jr. now hope that someone comes forward with new information or Rosalio's remains can be recovered. So this is still very much an open matter. Until his family gets all the justice they deserve and nothing less. Right. Yeah, definitely. And Sam, you and I, like, we've, we've, we're not old hands of this, but we've seen it enough that more has been solved with less of a tip. Yeah, definitely. So just call it, yeah. The justice they deserve and nothing less, in this case, means the body and or remains are returned to them. If you or anyone you know have information on this case, please don't hesitate to come forward with tips. Like I said, we've seen cases colder than this one solved with less. We'll provide the tip line number here shortly at the end of the episode. Sadie Beecham also spoke to the public on the horrible matter saying, quote, having the support of friends, family, people that I don't know helped give us strength, end quote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I will say in this, I'll I'll go a little more deeper into this in my final thoughts. But I I strongly believe that there are remains out there. Um, mm-hmm. and I also know this area of Wisconsin. There's a ton of farmland and wooded areas. Mm-hmm. And if you own this property, walk it, walk it. The tree farm, yeah, they own a tree farm. Mm-hmm. And I actually have a friend who owns a tree farm pretty close to there. <laughs> Uh, but I will I will tell her to to have her family walk their tree farm. It's a bit further north, but it, it, reasonable distance. <laughs> it's got forest preserve energy, which is always very frightening for me because that's like very unlikely that we might find something. Well, in this area, I actually drive through this area quite a bit. I, I was looking it up more in depth on maps um, after mm-hmm. we recorded. You're you're driving mm-hmm. through a ton of farmland, ton of it. Okay, and we all know that it's very easy to conceal a body on farmland because it's not yeah. constantly walked. Like, obviously, it's being taken care of. It's it's right. There's harvest. There's all of that. But it's still very easy to miss something like regularly turned dirt, like dirt turned over might not be a weird sight. Right. Like, oh, there's a bunch of loose dirt over there. Oh, well, we're doing this, that and the other thing. Yeah. And I think I think the Brandon Lawson case is like the the primary example of this. Are, Are you familiar with that in Texas? No, I'm not. Um, it, it's it's a bizarre case. I think we should cover it at some point. Um, I won't go into the yeah. details because there's a lot of crazy details in that case. But mm-hmm. in, in the end, which I'll be ruining it right now if uh, we do cover it, um, it turns out that it doesn't look like there was any foul play and he um, was having a manic episode and ran into a, a farmland area and he died and he was found many years later. And it was like right mm. off the road where where he, he ran off. Wow. So it's like things like that. That's what I'm wow. thinking of is like it, it could be something 
mm-hmm. where he was put out in the open and he just it's going to take a while to yeah. be found. That's why you have to be checking your property. Yeah, no. And I'm with you. I 100 percent think that there are remains because like I said in part one, I think he's literally keeping the remains of Rosalio as a trophy of his crime. And even though he can't visit them anymore, he is taking some kind of sick pleasure in knowing that he is the only one who knows where they are. Yeah. And Anderson's family attended much of the trial themselves, but were not in the courtroom for the verdict. I can't imagine wanting to go to court to hear the grisly details of what your own son has done to someone but apparently they believe strongly enough in his innocence to attempt anderson's attorneys have not commented on the case as of march 2023 which they don't really necessarily have a need to no yeah litigated it's done after being found guilty mr anderson was remanded to custody where he awaited a sentencing hearing on may 16th 2023 that homicide charge alone i believe i mentioned qualifies Anderson for a mandatory life sentence. Mm-hmm. And it was nearly three years to the day that Rosalia was last seen or heard from. And like I just said, the victim impact statements given on May 16th are horrible. Celia Patterson said the day she learned of Gutierrez's death was the worst day of her life. Quote, our world was shattered. I felt this overwhelming feeling of despair. Patterson added something that I agree with, and I'm glad she said, accusing Anderson of not caring about anyone but himself. She added that the absence of the body of her son makes his killing even more difficult to bear. She pleaded, quote, what did he do with my son's body? He did not allow my son a Christian burial, end quote. She requested that the judge sentence him to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Yeah, and that's like, we, we, you and I have talked so much about not being religious people, but I think you and I both mm-hmm. can fully understand the importance of a Christian burial. and and I can fully, fully understand the importance and significance and honorific value of whatever anyone's last wishes are. Exactly. And if you want to be given a Christian burial, then you should be given that. Absolutely. Because you're a human, I'm a human, I'm laying you to rest for the last time. Mm-hmm. It, it breaks my heart. She's just pleading, what did he do with my son's body? This poor woman. And during Patterson's speaking and all the other members of Rosalio's family speaking, Anderson remained emotionless, which, as we said before, is par for the course. He's still trying to keep secrets that would bring closure to this poor family, and he has no remorse about keeping them. Several more would deliver victim impact statements during sentencing, including Sadie Beecham and Anderson's own daughter. And it kills me to know that he showed no emotion when his own child was on the stand delivering her experience. Yeah, that's a whole different thing. Like, I, I under, like I don't understand it, but I understand a little bit more not showing emotion when it comes to Rosalio's family. He doesn't actually have a connection to them emotionally. But your own daughter? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, man. No. Yep. Yep. His own, his fork. 14 year old daughter 
Yeah, that's awful. And he showed no emotion. Anderson's attorney is monstrous. Anderson's attorneys were yep. not permitted Fair. to have witnesses testify to Anderson's character. So he's already been convicted. Because he has no friends, once again. Yeah, and he has no friends. Let's repeat that, because he's around somewhere in Kenosha prison. <laughs> We're and not that far. he has no friends, and I hope he can hear me right now. Instead, instead, girl, oh, instead, no. Anderson himself addressed the court and maintained his innocence. Like all... Of, co- of course yep. he did. Like, I'm not surprised, but like, seriously. Like, all cowardly murderers who cannot face the consequences I'm, I'm of I'm assuming their you're going to get to a point where he's trying to file appeals and do all that. Um, not so much. Not so much. The, his attorneys haven't commented on this since March 2020. Maybe one hasn't come forward yet, but I bet you there's going to be an appeal. There's been nothing. Yeah, me- I'll say he might have new attorneys. He might not like these guys anymore. Uh, yeah, or these guys were like, we're tired of getting dunked I'm on assuming in open these, court because they um, have your laptop, you idiot. Was defense counsel provided <laughs> like, to him, or did he pay for defense counsel? That's a very good question. I'm not positive. I'm pretty okay. sure they were. So I don't know how that works if they can like drop him or not when it comes to an appeal. I don't know. Um, but I, if he paid for him, they could drop him. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that Anderson had the financial. Krzyzewczak, the assistant district attorney for the prosecution, followed by saying that Anderson had committed the most serious crime possible in Wisconsin. The prosecution said, quote, Mr. Anderson does not deserve to ever live outside of a prison wall. Mr. Anderson Mm -hmm. brutally murdered Mr. Gutierrez Jr., end quote. On May 16th, 2023, Judge Bruce Schroeder sentenced Zachariah Anderson to life in prison for first-degree intentional homicide with the possibility of extended supervision. Which is parole. Yeah, exactly. Parole. Yeah. Anderson was also sentenced to four years in prison for two counts of stalking and six years for hiding a corpse. All sentences will be running consecutively which we'd like to hear. Ah, good. I was really worried for a second. Like, still, it's 40 Mm -hmm. years, but 50's better. Yeah, we'd like to hear it because it means that it will be 50 years in prison before Anderson would even be able to request extended supervision. Judge Schroeder commented on Anderson's crime, saying, quote, what you did was frightening. And he added that he had, quote, committed vicious criminal acts. Schroeder also pointedly told Anderson that he would be an old man if he was ever released. Go, Judge Schroeder, you tell him. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Based on all of this evidence, this all seems right. Right. And Zachariah Anderson is a huge part of how the system is broken for victims of stalking. Sadie couldn't have filed a report unless Anderson had already harmed her. Zachariah Anderson is also a coward for never facing up to the crimes he committed and the lives he's ruined. Though I think it's common in cold-blooded, uncaring, disregarding murderers like Zachariah Anderson, or as I prefer to call him, subject number 161500, the Kenosha (laughs) County Sheriff's Department, I'm sure, is happy with that as well. Lastly, there is not a dedicated tip line for this case, 
but anyone with information should contact Kenosha Police Department at 262-605-5203. There is a $10,000 reward for leading authorities to Rosalio's remains. Please call that number if you know anything and make sure that you are specific that you are referring to the case of Rosalio Gutierrez Jr. That way it's Mm -hmm. triaged. It's, you know, in front of people. Sam, I have a lot of resources on stalking here. Would you like to give your final thoughts first? Yeah. I'd love to hear them. So I, I have a theory of kind of how this all went down. And a lot of this came from talking to medical examiner and okay, what do you think? firefighters. Because I was really kind of stuck on the last episode of, did he burn the bodies? Like, that's mm-hmm. that's what I was thinking in my head that whole time. And I got some information because mm-hmm. I, I thought I knew that, like, you can't really burn a mm-hmm. body in a normal fire pit. I got information mm-hmm. that yeah, yeah. says, yes, that's right. You can't really burn a body in a normal fire pit. Because... A normal fire pit burns on average between 800 degrees and 1,000 degrees. There's a lot of different factors. Uh, the types of wood can change the temperature. Um, the, the Just the, the elements outside can change the temperature. Um, but crematoriums burn at 2,000 mm-hmm. degrees. So you're still 1,000 degrees off at this point. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, yeah significant. Mm-hmm. significant. I also learned that higher. crematoriums... Um, and this is this is kind of a morbid thought, but just I'm I'm thinking of it like very just like this is just how the process has to be. But even in a crematorium, you're not fully burning mm-hmm. all of the bones. You you actually they they have to be either no. ground up or put through some sort of kind of like as awful as it sounds a blender. Um, ex- yeah, yes, a, a bone cruncher. I was going to say because I couldn't. It is what it is. It's quite like, inelegant. It's a how word, it works, but it um, is descriptive and so, like, of the. Function. To me, that means that he didn't even make any attempt to burn the body. I'm still based on some of this evidence. When you're saying that there's no blood on the clothing, there's mm-hmm. there was nothing like that in the fire pit. I don't even think he was dismembered. I think that chainsaw that mm-hmm. he took for repair is a fluke Hmm. um i I think that Mm -hmm. just happened to be coincidence and i think that his body is up near sockville Sockville because this is also why i was asking when the fires were lit i think he went up to sockville after the murder somewhere Mm -hmm. along the eastern side of wisconsin along the lake up there is probably where his body is he burned the stuff that he was wearing to cause that first fire. And then he went back home and realized he had other things that he should probably burn that could potentially be evidence. That's the second fire. Right. Yep. Right. That's the van, the stuff from his own home. Like he didn't necessarily think about it at the tree farm and he got home and he's like, oh yeah, there's this too. I got to take care of it. And so that's why I think that like his remains have every potential of being found Mm. and that's why i think there's a good possibility they could be on farmland or in a heavily wooded area like a tree farm or or a a state forest up there Mm -hmm. that all makes a lot of sense to me right um because there's no biological evidence of his body beyond that speck in the van i think we would find a lot more biological evidence if he did try to dismember Mm mm-hmm 
or mm-hmm. if he attempted to burn and realized yeah. that there's yeah. no possible way that's going to happen. Yeah. And if <sighs> this is another morbid thought and something that I'm like, oh, God, I can't believe I'm saying this. The thing is, if you don't know how to dismember a body, you're pretty much going to go in there hacking away and you're not going to. It's Get not an easy job. Too far <laughs> if you don't know what you're doing, and you're gonna spray bio- you're gonna spray biological evidence everywhere. But you know, like you need to cut in certain areas to make the joints come apart easier, and so you're not necessarily cutting through mm-hmm. bone. Like it's such a terrible exactly. thought, That's... but like that, it is what it is. The yeah. Anderson. Has no medical knowledge, so I think you you're you're. I hope you're right that that he the whole body exists somewhere. The whole or part anything that can be returned to. I I think he is skeletal and he could be found skeletal. And anything that can be returned to Celia Patterson. I think would move mountains. I think she would be so grateful. Like anything that can be found. If you are walking your property, if you are in that area and see anything odd, if you are out with your metal detector one day and hit on something weird, please consider the tip line again is 262-605-5203. And there is a $10,000 reward. And I also think that there's a, a another reason why this kind of all fits in my head. If he did dismember him, his clothing, Rosalio's clothing, that would likely end up in a fire pit. And if the, all the fabric right. came back and said that it seemed consistent with Anderson's clothes. Right, exactly. Where is that? Yeah. I don't. Th- I, that's another reason I don't think that the fire actually has anything to do with mm-hmm. the disposal of the body. I think that had to do with the disposal of anything after he disposed of the body mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right the evidence yeah the mm-hmm. and i have a ton of resources on stalking and i am going to put them in our show notes and i am going to make them available to you however i'm going to give you the short version as we've been together for some time today i swear i'll wrap up Victim Connect Helpline through the National Center for Victims of Crime at 855-484-2846. Rain's National Sexual Assault Hotline, which does help with stalking, not just sexual assaults, at 800-656-4673. Or by email, if you someone can hear you, at by email hotline it's the email is hotline dot r a i n n dot org and the national domestic violence hotline at eight hundred seven nine nine seven two three three and we'll we'll post those all those numbers and the resources they offer in the show notes. But maybe we can put up like an please, Instagram post as well that gives them as well. Yes, exactly. Please reach out. Well, this was a doozy. Please reach out. But thank you all for listening to Have You Heard About This Case. 
Mm. If you liked this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at Have You Heard About This Case Pod, on TikTok at HYHATC, or you can email us at Have You Heard About This Case at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll talk to you later. Bye now.